Good morning, Luke. How's it, Corin? Back to our 2022 podcasts where we are doing society's super school heroes. Absolutely. And we are really working through different topics and talks that you are currently doing in the, the school space and hoping that we can assist educators, learners and parents in terms of coming really to terms with everything that is going on in the school space and to equip them with the knowledge and, and hopefully with the languaging to discuss very important topics with their children. Absolutely. And I think what, what we've noticed is that the schools and what, what I found very encouraging about the schools at the beginning of 2022 is they've started off with talks around the safety of children. Mm. And the reason that they've done that is we know that if children aren't safe, they can't learn. And the second thing they've recognized is that the people who make children unsafe are the very people that they employ to work with children. So we call those people career offenders. And a career offender is a twofold um, person. Firstly, they choose careers that give them access to children. And secondly, they make a career of abusing children. So when the research was done in the sort of late 80s, early 90s, it was done with incarcerated prisoners, mainly in the US. And they would say to them, you know, how many children do you think you've abused in your lifespan? And the numbers were three to four hundred. Per offender. Per offender. I mean, that is just horrific. And there's various levels of exposure. So what's, what we want to do in today's podcast is we want to basically say to people, these are the things you need to look out mm -hmm. for because you need to stop the inappropriate, unprofessional behavior of adults in the lives of children right at the beginning. At the beginning. You don't want to be picking it up halfway through the process because then it's already very complicated. And interestingly, when I unpack it for people, they say, ah, oh, when I think back at that guy, he fits every single mm. one of the profiles. And then at the end, I'll speak to why it is difficult for people to acknowledge that this is happening and report it because it creates a very complex psychological dynamic in us because these are people who are our colleagues, friends, uh, they're friends of the parents, visit at their houses. They're camouflage. They're, they're very, camouflage. very clever people. Absolutely. So this is the first of a three-part series called Eye on the Child. And um, Eye on the Child is something, it's, it's a talk that you're doing regularly in schools and you're doing it for the parents, you're doing it for the learners and you're doing it for the educators. So this three-part series, today we are discussing the four preconditions for child abuse to occur the grooming process, and the psychological defences which provide barriers to reporting. So that's episode one. Episode two is on consent. And where sexual consent is a very important part of this podcast, we are also talking about consent in terms of drinking, vaping, smoking, marijuana, and as we said, sex. And part three of Our the Child is on criminal capacity in the Child Justice Act. So through these three podcasts, making up Our and the Child, we're really hoping, as we said earlier, to equip parents, learners and educators with the languaging and also what warning signs to look out for. So let's get going. What are the four preconditions for child abuse to occur? The first thing with the precondition for child abuse is the person who is sexually abusing a child or an adolescent. So people who abuse prepubescent or pre-12-year-old pre children are called pedophiles. And the interesting thing about the definition of a pedophile is it's the one psychiatric diagnosis where you don't have to act on what you're fantasizing about, in other words, sex with children, to receive the diagnosis. So we have pedophiles 
who will, fa- and I've seen pedophiles who fantasize about having sex with children but don't uh, because they know it's wrong and they're actually quite distressed mm. uh, with the, the fantasies. Then you get a, a phrase coined by sort of a forensic profiler in the, the US which is called a hebophile. And a hebophile is a person who's sexually attracted to pubescent and post-pubescent children. Now, what we must understand very clearly is that the languaging around the preconditions for abuse creates a picture in the minds of children. So, for example, we will say um, people who sexually abuse children were sexually abused or they can't find adult friends or they um, want to exercise power. Now, if you have those as kind of narratives, particularly the one where people who are abusing children were abused as children, suddenly the child has to almost think, "Mm, I have to sort of feel sorry for this person because they were a victim and shame, you know, they've done it to me. Whereas that's not the case. And also, I suppose they'll also feel, and now I'm going to become a predator. Exactly. So there's that going on in their minds as well. Exactly. So that provides, first of all, the disincentive is that this person was a victim. I have to in some way feel sorry for them. And then secondly, I can't tell anybody because they think I'm going to become a predator. Mm. So and particularly in boy children, that that is a disincentive to disclosure. But the important thing to recognize and what I need people to hear is that the motive for people to sexually abuse children and adolescents is they like having sex with children and adolescents. Mm. It's not gay people who have sex with, um, or gay males who have sex with boy children or lesbian women who have sex with uh, girl children. It is pedophiles and hebophiles who like having sex and are aroused by children and adolescents. And we need to call it for what it is mm. because then we understand that these people are using children as sex objects. They're using them as fetishized um, sex objects. You know, So that's the first thing. The second precondition which I alluded to is the fact that the offender has to lower their internal inhibitions. So, for example, when I say to these pedophiles I've worked with who have had these very distressing fantasies about um, sex with children but have never acted mm-hmm. on them, they have a very strong internal inhibitor. It's that thing that says what I'm doing is wrong and I will not do it. Whereas the person who offends has to lower that internal inhibitor. And the way they do that is through things like cognitive distortions or what we call dissonance and noise in the head where they will make reasons. You know, I, I, I loved him. I was very good to him. Um, I was like a father to him. Um, he came on to me. So, so they're in, in a way justifying their behavior. So it's the justification on the one hand, but it's also the lowering of the discomfort internally. Okay. where that sense of internal discomfort, mm. they have to overcome it. Mm. And they, they do that by faulty thinking, okay, which comes in right at the end as to why people don't disclose. The third precondition, which is the most important one for us to talk about today, is the fact that they have to overcome the external inhibitors. Now, external inhibitors are society at large. Mm. We do not want people abusing our children sexually. So parents, teachers, police officers, magistrates, judges, social workers, workers, psychologists, you know, pick a a category. None of us want that Mm. to happen. So we have a negative duty as people who are looking after children, which is sort of our constitutional duty of care to keep children safe. And we must first not harm them. So that's not so easy, but that's the first thing. But in this context of the third precondition, we have to actively protect Mm. children. And that is a positive duty. And the law imposes that duty on adults and professionals. 
So what the external inhibitors are, things like have your staff had police clearance checks, sex offender register checks, child protection register checks, and people will say to me, yeah, but those things don't work and the people are not on that. It's not the point. The point is that you're telling someone who comes there, listen, we know people come to these places who abuse children and we think that you might be one of those people, so we are going to check you. Okay. Mm. Secondly, people need to employ people with some kind of qualification to work with children. So, I mean, I, I work in a lot of these private boys' schools where people get promoted from being, whatever, coaches. No, no, not even coaches, sorry. They get promoted from being on the first team. They suddenly are now coaches, hostel masters, partial care people, you know, etc. where they don't have a qualification to work with children. They come through the old boys' system. Mm. So that's your, your second check. Then if you want to work with children, you need to have some kind of training in mm. child safety, not just in child development. You need to know how to protect children. So there needs to be some kind of CPD around mm. um, protecting children. Would and that then, be like first aid? So the from, from first aid right through to DTFK? 100%. Mm. So everything you need, if you're a rugby coach or boxing coach, concussion management, mm. you know, et cetera. So it's that whole safety net for, for children. So it's a holistic view of things. It's Absolutely. not just I was a really good hockey player at school, I was a provincial hockey player, now I'm going to be a hockey coach. And even in addition to that, it is not about developing the sport for the school so the sport can get privileged. It's about developing the child mm. through the sport. So it's a whole lens mm. that is different. Okay. So, and then it's obviously if you suspect something, you must um, investigate it. If you know something, you must report it. Um, the fact that you believe that the system doesn't work is not relevant. That then brings people like women and men against child abuse into the picture to do advocacy and athletes against child abuse. So, it, it's all of these excuses. The system doesn't work, or I don't have evidence, or I don't. That, that's not the point. The point is you report things to open an investigation. Mm. Okay. And if these these predators are thinking that you're going to report, they're less likely to do mm -hmm. something because they don't want to get caught. None, well, in fact, probably 100% of the offenders I've worked with over the years have not come forward to get help. And in other words, they, they don't express remorse. They regret getting caught mm. and they don't want the consequences mm. that follow. So that's the external control. So if they have a motive to abuse children and they can't control themselves internally, we have to provide the boundaries to control them. And the first slip that everybody makes um, in any of these contexts where abuse has occurred is they take someone who's not professional and put them in a professional position, which I've mentioned. But secondly, they allow boundaries to slip with the, where people don't behave professionally. So and I say to parents very clearly, if there's anybody that pays more attention to your child than you, you are in big trouble. Mm. It should not be. No. Okay. And generally, the children that these offenders target are people who are vulnerable, so don't have father figures, are children on bursaries or scholarships who are getting access to privilege via their sporting prowess, etc., or they are the children who want to be springbucks. So the ones who want to be great, where mm. these guys can do And the parents very often are living vicariously through their children, and they Absolutely. want those children to achieve at any cost. And so often, that's when the guard is down. Absolutely. So that brings us to the last of the preconditions. So you've led into it very nicely. 
is what happens is that that offender has to overcome the resistance of the child because children do not want to have sex with adults. Of course not. Okay. They, do they develop crushes on them? Absolutely. Do they fall in love with them? Absolutely. But it's the adult's job to put the boundary in place because mm-hmm. the adult is the adult. Okay. Now, that's all adults. So it's the management, it's fellow staff members, it's parents, it's everybody. Because the child is a child, we're teaching the child, okay? Whereas the adults are the ones who blur the boundaries and allow them to be blurred. In, as you said, in pursuit of privilege. So the last, the last precondition has two, two factors. So to overcome the resistance of the child, um, the offender uses force, and that is extremely rare. When I talk about rare, 2% of my cases in the history of my life was force used Mm -hmm. in sexual abuse cases. And in those cases, we find out about the abuse immediately because the children are abducted, kidnapped, hurt, Mm. they're damaged, etc. I mean, over and above the abuse, there are other physical injuries that take place. Absolutely. And they've been missing and Mm. they come back and they're bleeding. And, you know, so we find out about those immediately. It's the second one that's the issue, and that's grooming. So now grooming is a process that is followed to groom, number one, the people who employ you in the case of schools or the parents who employ you as a coach or a music teacher or whatever, and then the child. But you must understand if we go back to the four preconditions of, uh, for abuse, they have to overcome external inhibitors and they have to groom the school, the teacher, the sporting federation and the parents. Otherwise, they don't get access to the children. Mm. So how does grooming work? The first thing they do is they develop a sense of trust, which I've I've discussed. The teachers have to trust them, the staff have to trust them, the parents have to trust them, and then they start developing favorites. Now, the favorite Mm. thing happens in a very interesting way. You know, you can get better marks. You can be the, I'll give away my age now, you can be the next Graham Pollock or Vince van der Bale or whatever. So I'll give you access to this and then you'll get access to the right school, access to the right bursaries, access to the right varsity, access to the right jobs, access to the right secret society, access to privilege, which is money. So that's sort of the progression of it. And in that context, the, the trust is one where Let's take an example that I worked with. So you've got a man who's a pastor at the local church. This is an actual case. It's a small-ish town in the Western Cape. He's a pastor in the local church. He's also the Afrikaans teacher. He's the art teacher. He's the rugby coach. And he also trains at the local um, big brand gym because there's only one gym because it's a smallish town. And he does the following. He's the under-13 rugby coach. And he starts by saying to – so this is one of the dangers – is that he has a WhatsApp group where the, the parents might or might not be on, but it's what time is practice, what time is this, what mm. time is the bus leaving, all of that. But he takes four boys out of 22 off, mm. and he individually messages them mm. as favorites. Okay, And then what he does is he then starts isolating them. So he'll start with what we call, which is the third, fourth phase, which is boundary violation. He'll start by saying to the four boys separately, because he's isolating them and he's chosen them as favorites and he has trust. He says to the four boys, um, how are your legs feeling after practice? So of those four boys, only three answer. Mm. Okay, No, they fine or they saw. Then he says, oh, do you still go to the virgin active? You know, Now only two boys answer and people are saying, that's not great, but we, we don't know if something's wrong yet. The next message is where the boundary becomes really um, right off the 
off the page. Do you still use the sauna? Now only one, only mm-hmm. one boy answers. And then that boy, he will say, meet me in the sauna, I'll rub your legs for you. And that is how that process is set up. So there's trust, mm-hmm. there's favorite, there's isolation, there's boundary violations, and then there's what we call testing. Now with adolescence, there's, there's generally another phase beyond the boundary violation. So a boundary violation leading into a taboo violation is, for example, let's take a very famous case in Joburg, where part of the so-called initiation to a sports team or a hostel or a school is to rub deep heat on Mm. boys' genitals. Now, first of all, I don't know why anyone would do that. Secondly, don't touch my genitals. Thirdly, don't walk around with genitals showing. It's just not, Mm. I mean, it's not normal. And then what happens? And yet is the boys are led to believe that it's quite normal, no, and that and that that's quite frightening. That this is okay. In fact, it's beyond that. It's not just normal. It is what you need to perform in order to belong. Now, remember, adolescents are developing identity. Mm. And for example, if you're in a hostel, most of your identity is made up of where you live and where you go to school because it's where you spend most of your time. And now you need to belong somewhere. So they play those two against one another. So I belong here. And it's part of my identity, you know, rah, rah, we mm. are these people, what happens here stays here, snitches end up in ditches, snitches get snitches, that kind of thing. So masculinity becomes performative. So it's not only that it's okay, it's required mm. because of the performative nature of masculinity. So they blur that boundary, okay, and they don't call it sexual, it's physical, because the homophobia that comes with it is extraordinary. Mm. These things are set up with a homophobia background to keep and then what happens is they'll say this is a tactic in water polo, for example, where you grab guys by the penises. So they're getting them used to touching other mm. boys' penises, and that's a way so you're to… Normalizing you're normalizing it. Normalizing mm. it. It's a way to get one up in over your opponents in the, um, in the game. Then the adolescents and teenagers are at great risk in hostels, on camps, and on tours. Mm. Because the people who go with them, the adults who want to abuse them, will engage in what we call taboo violations. Now, I've seen this in pretty much every adolescent case I've ever dealt with, is they will not only allow children, people under 18, to do things that are illegal and their parents and the school would not allow, okay, they actively encourage it. Mm. So they don't just allow it and participate Mm. with so those who are drinking, marijuana, Because then vaping, we've got a secret. And the power of abuse is the secret. Mm-hmm. Okay. So these adults facilitate that. So like I said, generally drinking, drinking lowers inhibitions. Marijuana has become a very big one because technically people say marijuana is legal, but it's not and certainly not for children. Vaping and what you put in the vape is mm. a big issue because vaping is just a device. It's what you put in the vape that's the issue. Hubbly, exactly the same mm-hmm. thing. And the biggest one is porn. Yeah. So they violate those, um, those taboos of society and encourage it, and it's our secret. And I mean, even the case recently where I was down doing a talk at a boys' school, when it came out and I explained to them the process, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Mm. Under lockdown, there, there were all these WhatsApps and photos of this teacher drinking with the boys. These boys are 15. You know, number one, they shouldn't be drinking. Number two, you should be telling them to stop. Number three, you certainly should not be drinking with them. Absolutely not. So that then, as you rightly say, that then develops the secret. And the secret is where the power lives. Okay. 
So what that whole system then leads to is the disincentives to disclose. Homophobia is a disincentive to disclose. The fact that shame, shame, guilt, betrayal, loss of access to privilege. So there are multiple things, you know, um, for boys. Boys don't cry. Why don't you defend yourself? You know, so there's millions of these disincentives. Then adults stand around with a chop and a dop and they will say, the system is such a stuff up. You know, if you go to the police, nothing, you know, the police do nothing, da, da, da. Or I don't have evidence, etc. So there's all that drama. And then the secret gets maintained. Okay. And once the secret is maintained, what these guys do is they now encourage the younger, sorry, the older boys to do the same to the younger boys. So like in the Scoutmaster case I had, you would have this guy in his, I think he was in his mid-late 20s, getting 15-year-old boys to do all of the things I said and getting those 15-year-old boys to do it to 11, 12-year-old boys. So the 15-year-old will now never disclose because now he looks like an offender. Mm -hmm. So there's this whole kind of system that gets set up to keep it a secret and to maintain betrayal, shame, stigmatization, all those things. And then we as society are very bad because we then engage in a whole range of very common, um, which are defences of the child, defences of the parents, defences of the school, and defences of the accused person. And those are levels of denial. Now, sometimes the denial is so bad by which to access the agency. And we do not listen to children, even though we talk about child participation. We will believe an adult over a child any day. Sure. Okay, especially trusted adults. So the first denial is denial of fact. Now, denial of fact is a um, is denial of the fact that something occurred. Do you think also it's a case of I don't know how to deal with this? So, if if in terms of my denial, so apart from denying it because that person could never ever do it, they're such a nice person. Look how much they've done for the sport or the children or whatever. But denial in terms of if I acknowledge that this has happened, what do I do next? So next steps. Yeah. And you speak about the system being broken. Surely we can only start to fix the system if we participate. No doubt. And that's avoidance. <clears throat> so denial causes avoidance and the disincentives to disclosure. And the disincentives relate to the fact that we need to engage in a system which doesn't work. So the last two of the defences is the one that every violent country I've been to in the world, this defence exists as a social problem. It's denial of impact. I was robbed, at least I wasn't killed. They broke into my house, at least I didn't die. He only touched him, he only sent him messages, mm -hmm. at least he didn't drape him, etc., etc. The minimisation. Minimisation. So mm -hmm. the denial of impact is minimisation. And what you must understand is that the damage caused by abuse is the betrayal of a relational trust okay, and the sexualization of a child. It's not a continuum of how much your body was damaged. Mm -hmm. It's the relational damage and it's the sexualization, which is linked to trauma, which we call traumatic sexualization, which is the damage caused by abuse. And finally, there's denial of responsibility. Wasn't my fault. I was abused as a child. Wasn't my fault. That's why I said I'll come back right to the first one, which mm -hmm. is the motive mm -hmm. to abuse. It's, it, it's not my response. This child fell in love with me. This child came on to me. That happens much more with um, coaches who abuse girls than okay. it does with boys because she fell in love with me. She wanted this relationship. She, she, she. And the, the thing we need to understand is it is our job as professionals to put the boundaries in. Are young people who we 
take out of difficult circumstances, put in boarding houses, work within children. Are they going to de- develop crashes on us as the people they see rescue them? For sure. Mm, mm. But do we develop crashes on them? And that's when people don't want to answer me. Well, the answer is we do. Okay. But everybody we like in our life or, you know, develop an attraction to, and we don't pursue everybody that we might find attractive i mean you know we'd be running around in circles we commit to being good husbands wives good Mm. teachers etc and we need to make sure that if we are straying in the boundaries we going back to the first point we keep our internal inhibitors in check and if we can't they need to be external inhibitors Just another thing, and I know we're going quite long on this podcast, but there's just so many important things to really discuss. So we see male on male, we see male on female, we see all of that. But we're now seeing female on male. So a woman teacher in a um, in a in a boys' school um, who who crosses those boundaries, who takes advantage, and the child is definitely feeling the effects of the abuse. But so many of the friends will rah, rah, you know, wow, you're only this age and you've been able to pull an adult woman. Um, We saw the case in Cape Town, a highly publicized case. There's recently been a case at another school where it's an adult woman and a teenage boy. How do we almost, or not liken it, but, but just stand up and say it's wrong. It's as wrong as a man with a with a with a young girl or a young boy with his outrage, but we we really seeing a lot of backslapping when it comes to the fact when it's a woman. So when there's male on male abuse, the homophobia is a massive issue, and we must remember it is not gay people who abuse boys. We see the same with women relationships with girls in mm. schools, which happens a lot in the in the girls' schools. It happens more than what people want to acknowledge, but girls get away with higher levels of intimacy mm. almost by default, because they're not seen as predatory. So there's a lot, a lot of that is quite undiagnosed mm. and underreported. Then when you get the reverse dynamic of the young boy and the adult woman, is uh, sex and sexuality is heavily gendered. So what mm. the law did is the law made it entirely gender neutral. So what we need to be doing is we need to be making sure we inform people of the gender neutrality of the law. Mm. Because constitutionally, there is absolutely zero difference. Legally, there is absolutely zero difference. Because the law used to, when it was the Immorality Act and the Old Sexual Offences Act, it was deeply different. But then black people couldn't have sex with white mm. people, men couldn't have sex with men. And, you know, it was, you know, there was the legislation of morality. And when they wrote the new Sexual Offences Act, they made it entirely gender, gender neutral. neutral. And one of the big things that changed was, and this was the Frankel case, was that men couldn't be raped. Because Hmm. penetration was penetration of a vagina by a penis without consent. Now it's the penetration of any bodily orifice with any object. And you can have a thing called compelled rape, Hmm. where you can compel somebody to rape somebody else. But you who's compelling them is the one who's the Hmm. rapist, not the Hmm. person who's actually performing the sex act. So they've attempted, well not attempted, they've succeeded in the law to make the law gender neutral. But that has not changed the biases of Mm. the gender-based nature of sexual relationships. And pornography has made that 10 times worse. Absolutely. Because the MILF scenario Mm. has become a nightmare for us. Mm. Because it's almost like 
this woman need to teach you how to have sex sure, in the world, sure. and and Mrs. Robinson and things like that. Luke, we're going to pick um, this gender neutrality up in our consent segment, which is our episode to digestion. And and you know this this could be a ten part series. And and if if our listeners want more on any any issue, and you're welcome to write into us, and we can delve further into it or explore things that you maybe want to know more about. But for now, we're going to call it an end to part one on Our the Child. And thank you so very much for listening. We invite you to engage with us. Please check out our Facebook page, comment on our posts, or email us. Thank you, Luke. Thank you ever so much. Fantastic. And we ask you to look um, at uh, the social medias for part two and look forward to engaging with you. Have a lovely day further.